Hello, and welcome to the Nostalgia Podcast. A podcast where we discuss the retelling or continuation of pop culture favorites as seen through a queer and feminist lens. My name is Eric Lefebvre. And my name is Jessica Tercero. And this week, we watched... We watched... The Karate, Karate Kid. Kid. Ah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so we watched uh, the Karate Kid. In both movies, like in the living room, just like, huh, huh, like oh, doing punching the, the air. I was or, like, yeah. I totally fucking did that. <laughs> <laughs> like how he's just mad and he's just like looking at his old karate book, like kicking. He's like, are you learning that out of a book? He's like, yeah. Okay. He's like, what? <laughs> like, what? God, okay, it's fine. cool, thanks. It's fine. Oh, um, it's okay. Yeah, I, I'd never seen either one of these movies i feel like that i say that so much i'm like i haven't seen any of this so let's talk about i it. love that i love that you haven't seen it though because like sometimes like i watch things and i'm like oh and so i'm a little bit gentler with it or like you know i'm not as like nah fuck that <laughs> yeah yeah so, like not having any sort of emotional or nostalgic tie to it i, I it 100 percent makes it easier to just like absolutely go in if it's a fucking mess like it's so much easier to be completely objective boom that's objective the word. that's also it's way easier word. when you have no ties to it to be just like as objective as possible just like oh yeah this was garbage or that was a mess but the rest was great or this was a fantastic thing yeah i was a little bit nervous with this one Same. i was i was excited because like i know like as a kid it was like fuck yeah but you know so many times you go back and you're like oh especially with like something where like in the name it is like karate kid and you're like yeah okay and like how much everybody still loves this movie and the whole thing but my husband was like no you should watch it and i was like okay okay we'll do it i i was gently surprised in every regard i mean obviously like we're gonna get into it in a sec and there's just like one big gaping moment that i think is just a mess of a problem for the movie but it really is just that one thing and everything else for the most part i was like oh that's not a problem like oh oh they got around it <laughs> or like oh they addressed it they addressed class discrepancy and and uh, poverty shaming what they addressed yeah. racial stereotypes what they addressed like, vulnerability and redesignating shame as a means to self-soothe what i was really i was impressed <laughs> i was so happy yeah like and a yeah. lot of that stuff is just like I'm going to call you on your privilege and it's not going to be this big giant conversation, but I'm going to just call you out right now. You know, yeah. I'm like, what? That's so cool. The converse- That's so cool. The conversations were so kind and it was, it just felt, it just felt, it's one of those rare movies that feels intentional. Like yeah. every scene was there for a reason to explain something else. And every line felt very like, oh, well, he's only saying that because of this other thing and we're seeing that combated to explain this about his character later. Like, everything felt so needed. And I was just, because of all of that, nothing felt fluff. I was engaged with it the whole time. I was like, oh, wow. This Are you is... talking about both Karate Kid movies or just the first one? Just the first one. Okay. Because cool. I, I have a lot. Know. Well, I don't have a lot to say. I have some some big things to say about the second one that I think absolutely fucking missed the mark in in very big ways but yes. i'm the first one in general i just think was the hype is real i guess is the right way to say this for people who love the karate kid like honestly i've never seen it but i'm just gonna say it still holds up if you thought it was great back then you're probably still gonna think it's great now again one big glaring garbage racist thing that is in this movie but outside of this big garbage racist pile um, everything else is fantastic. <laughs> yeah, go watch it again. 
also wild because it was in the 80s that came out in the fucking 80s right and it wasn't like just being like for as great as it is like even by today's standards and all this like aside from that one part that you're talking about the fact that it is still such a cult classic loved by literally everybody is just wild well also the fact that something this intentional and I guess inclusive in its narrative was written by a white guy is also incredibly surprising because oftentimes, especially looking at Asian characters and conversations about stereotype, especially in the eighties, <laughs> um, this could have been an absolute colossal fuck of a mess. Meanwhile, it was a little messy, but like, I'm incredibly surprised by how unmessy it was. <laughs> like, Oh yeah. It was, I'm excited. Yeah. Same. Shall we? Let's do it. Let's talk about it. Let's do it. Boo, boo, boo. After relocating from New Jersey to California, a teenage Daniel LaRusso strikes up a conversation with local hottie Allie and is subsequently bullied by her ex-boyfriend and his friends. As the romance blossoms, the bullying escalates, causing the apartment handyman, Mr. Miyagi, to intervene. In an effort to end the violence, Mr. Miyaki confronts the leader of the Cobra Kai Dojo and accidentally ends up getting Daniel involved in a karate tournament to settle things once and for all. Mr. Miyagi puts Daniel through what he feels are remedial tasks, but JK, it's great defense strategy. The two grow close, Daniel does the tournament, legs get swept, high kick, and... The end. Bubba boom. And it really does end that abruptly. (laughs) I know! It's so... It's it's like, like... Kick, boom, done. You won. Here's your trophy. Mr. Miyagi, he's like, way to go, kid. And he's like, bang, you're the best around. Okay. Nothing that song and was like, actually written for Rocky. Rocky 3. Oh, it, and it was just re- recycled? No, it was. It was written for Rocky 3 and was only used for this. It was written for Rocky 3, but Karate Kid got it. Oh, wow. Which is see, I've never. I, those are also movies I've never seen. I've never seen any of the Rockies, so Ooh, I'm not sure. We should sure. do a Rocky. I saw one. I saw a Rocky film a long ass time ago. I was probably like 10. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. So I don't I'm remember sure, like, shit. As, I bet as a kid, it's incredibly boring because it's just like, whatever, like fight. Mm, or I don't know. I, again, I'm, I don't even know anything about Rocky, so I have no room to talk about anything. <laughs> I mean, uh, that's But what I do have is, room right? to talk about this. I want to start because we've teased the idea that we liked it. And that's semi a semi-rarity for this podcast. I do want to talk about the glaring racist undertone of the character of Mr. Miyagi in this, which was leading into watching this, the thing I was afraid of the most. I was like, it's called The Karate Kid. There's this actor who's portraying an Okinawan character who is, um, his English isn't very good, uh, set on this very white backdrop of of Southern California, I'm like, I'm so nervous. I am so nervous about what's going to happen in this. Like, what is going to happen? Honestly, he did such a good job with the character. He did. And also, I like looked up the typecast. The character in the movie, his family is from the nation of Okinawa. So before World War II, that collective of islands south of Japan were their own united collect it like a nation Mm -hmm. i I suppose and then after it was occupied by the united states boo uh during world war ii which is why okinawa has the bases on them you the usa quote unquote gave the islands back to japan but japan never had the island so it was just like again just using people in their populace as objects and totems for war and not 
people, uh, you know, U.S. standard, which we despise. Um, I was excited to learn that the actor, his parents are from Okinawa. So he's playing this character from there. And I was just like, cool, you guys cast like, yes, I'd love it. Like, because I'm so tired of like seeing these movies where it's like this Chinese narrative and like two actors are Korean, somebody's Japanese and somebody's Vietnamese. And you're like, this is just erasure, y'all. Like, come yeah. on, like be better. So the well, fact that he was Okinawa and I was like, that's great. <laughs> also, he was also in an internment camp. The actor Pat Morita was in real life or the character in the narrative? Pat was in an internment camp. He was held at um, one of the Japanese internment camps too. And so um, one of the biggest, um, the biggest part about this character, about him and like central to him and who he is. Um, yeah. The the character, Mr. Miyagi, is that he he was part of the U.S. Army. And he ended up going to fight in Europe, right? And the specific yeah. internment camp that he was supposed to be in, like canonically through the film, is one that was for this company that like was all like Japanese internment people, essentially. Yeah. Um, and they were also like the most fierce and the most decorated and all this other stuff, you know, like trying to prove themselves like as Americans. And so the fact that his wife dies in the internment camp while he's off trying to save his country or trying to do all this other stuff, right? Like trying to prove himself with everybody else. Like they aren't even able to get her a doctor and he's off oh, yeah. like doing the, you know, land of the free, all this stuff like that, that scene that he has where he got drunk and he's just talking about this. Like it's what I love about that scene is it's not like I was in an internment camp and blah, 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 right? It, but it was just so like, here's the papers, you know, here's this. It, it really well, relies on you as the, as like, if you didn't know anything about Japanese internment, right? You wouldn't really know what happened or anything like that. So it really relies and trusts the viewer to kind of like put some of these pieces together, like the Medal of Valor, right? Like he almost sacrificed himself for somebody else or put himself in mortal danger to save somebody else. Like that's how you get that. Yeah. And so that's who he is as a person. And he did that for his country. He did that for America, but they couldn't even do that for him. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think that that's just like generalized race. I mean, granted, there's nothing about internment camps that are good. No. So like to me, to me, just the, just the full idea that like she was in an internment camp and then he was fighting for a country that put her in the internment camp. And I mean, obviously them collectively in an internment camp. Um, the, the idea of it, the truth of it, the fact that it existed is just fucked up in general. I mean, that just leads to the conversation about white supremacy in this country, the treatment of anybody who is not of Eurocentric origin and white skin, all that. It's all fucked up. Um, that scene itself was so impactful just because of the character work of Mr. Miyagi, just because of his subtlety and growth from scene to scene and how he lets a little bit of vulnerability show, but he doesn't let a lot. And then it's this moment of, of, of being drunk where he like just kind of like, yeah, this is, this is what happened. This is, this is why I'm here. And just, I, I just, it was, so impactful and so heartbreaking that scene and like even subsequently the the Daniel LaRusso's birthday where he makes him the cake and then he gives him the he gives him the robe that his wife embroidered for him and he's like 
Danny's like, I can't take this from you. This is from your wife to you. And he's like, and I'm giving it to you because you under, I think you, you know what this means and that's why you should have it. And it's just like, oh my God, what's, what's wild? Cause like, that's when Danny says, you're my best. He like tells Mr. Miyagi, he's essentially like, you're my best friend. Like I've never had a friend like you yeah. and the feelings reciprocated and it's obvious. I believe that like they really set this up to where like you believe it. You believe this completely between these two characters. They're vastly different. What there's 60 years between them probably. Mm -hmm. But in this moment, you're seeing the joy of a friendship that is just existing. And it's like, it's, it it was so good. I, I want to get back to that. I want to come back to this conversation after a couple things, but that big glaring racist thing, the music that they would play in the background, like they do all the time with Asian characters whenever they're on screen, a lot of composers love to add a pan flute or a fucking gong or a fucking, like mm-hmm. they, they add these little moments to be like, just in case you didn't realize this character is Asian, if you can't see it, here's music to show it. And it's just like this messy, racist bullshit. Like, what is that? Like, why are we doing this? It just, it bleeds into the, I guess, conglomerating Asian cultures in a way that is just generalized erasure, but also using music as a backtrack to stereotype. But also, it's just like, what the fuck? Like, that's so unnecessary. It leads to the mysticism of a character. Like we've talked about previously, there's like certain tropes or stereotypes of character that can be mysterious and surprise it's always people of color <laughs> because they're i mean they're not white and you can you can make them mysterious and like oh their ways their way like what is that even it's just it's exoticizing non-white folks it's exoticizing people of color in this way that is so disgusting and so degradating it's a mess and so that's the big glaring thing in this that i was like that's fucked i hate this Blah, mm-hmm. which is surprising because there's like a couple moments where like Miyagi's explaining that karate comes from Chinese culture and that he learned it when he lived in Okinawa. And then Danny's like, I thought it came from the Buddhist temples and stuff like that. Some like really young, ignorant thing to say, like very right. generalized. What does even Buddhism have to do? Like, you don't know what you're talking about. And Miyagi tells him that he watches too much TV. And so in my head, I'm like, so that line by itself is intentionally recognizing that the media is involved with the erasure of Asian culture or the conglomerating of Asian cultures in a way that you cannot, or a younger American audience can't distinguish the difference between Vietnamese, Chinese, Japanese. And it's that kind of Orientalist erasure that's disgusting. But in the script, Miyagi's teaching this young ignorant kid who doesn't know anybody who grew up in America, this thing. And Daniel LaRusso like internalizes that. So for me, there are these small moments of like growth and and teaching that happen throughout this that I'm like, why in this very progressive leaning script was there a backtrack that was so reductive? I mean, I guess it couldn't be perfect, right? (laughs) (laughs) It's the 80s. I honestly like I didn't notice and I'm going to have to like watch it again and look for that because I was just so impressed with everything else yeah um like it wasn't cartoonishly overt though it was okay. subtle yeah and which is why like when i was listening to it, i was like is that oh fuck it is Ugh, yeah. why okay cool guys like why we don't need to do this we don't need to keep doing this like yeah 
to your point, though, about how that, you know, uh, oh, well, this came from Buddhism, right? The Buddhist monks and whatever. Miyaki does such a great job at just correcting people when, yes. whenever yeah. something happens, right? Whenever they mispronounce his name, whenever they mispronounce a word that he's like, you know, trying to teach them or whatever. Like he's, he's so, he's incredibly patient. I, I can't yeah. imagine, but like one of the things that I liked about that, you eventually see Daniel take that on. And so he starts correcting people. Like he is correcting like, no, 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 this is how you say it. Like it's, it's one of those really subtle things in there that like is so good. Like this film did such a great job of earning the character growth and of earning like that scene that they got to. Right. Uh, and I want to oh, go back yeah. to that really quick because the way that the characters were developed in this, it, this was a perfect example of show, don't tell, right? So you're going on this on this journey with them. You're experiencing all of this with them. And like, you know, it's not all right away. And they're not really talking about it, but they did just such a good job of acting it. And without the drinking scene, I don't think this movie would be, at, like, it'd be, it would be fine. But that, I think, is what took it from a good movie to a great movie, Right. Oh, and yeah. That's like that's like the climax of the third act. It's the moment that really incites what the ending is going to become and the friendship that we've developed in this hour and 30 minutes. Well, because think about it. If that wasn't yeah. there, right, it would have been like, oh, cool. Hey, we're friends. Here's a car. You know, here's this thing that my wife made. Here's right? your birthday. Here's your car. Yeah. So what baffles <laughs> me and also like that scene is what got um, the Oscar nomination for Pat because he was he was nominated for an Oscar for this film. Um, That's awesome. And rightfully so, because he can't, he went from being like the, uh, the dude on happy days, right? Like the ex owner, yeah. like this comedy actor to this. And he almost didn't get the role because of that. So he ended up like having to like grow out his beard and do all this stuff to show like, look, I can do this. I can be this character, you know, like he, yeah. he campaigned for himself to do that. And like you were saying, like he's Okinawan. He's, you know, like he was, uh, uh, in Japanese internment camp, you know, all this other stuff. So like this character obviously meant something to him. And I'm so yeah. glad that he gunned for it and he got it and he did that because like, this is great. So going back to that scene, the studio almost made them cut this. The studio was like, the no, we're going to, the studio was like, no, we're going to cut this. It, it changes up the vibe too much. You know, we, we can't have this. Uh, but the director, what? the, was like, no, we're fucking keeping it. Like he, he campaigned really hard. I like, and so like, I, I don't have like a lot of like, surprisingly, I don't have a lot of like relevant trivia for Karate Kid, right? You know, it's all like, Machio kept the car, you know, like, okay, whatever. But like, that's one that I found and I was like, oh no, I can't, thinking about this film without that scene, it's so much more shallow. It, it's so like, I, the, I can't. The, the movie just it it like lacks the emotional substance of payoff of anything really like you really you've you've spent this time developing this friendship and this mentorship that Miyagi is giving to Danny and without that scene that scene solidifies what is a mentorship into a friendship because then the birthday mm -hmm. scene makes no sense like okay, Miyagi's kind of hard on him, but he's kind of nice to him sometimes. Why is he giving him his dead wife's thing? Why is his wife dead? Also, why is he giving him a car? Because he waxed it? That doesn't make sense. Without this moment of complete vulnerability, 
it wouldn't make sense. Also, like showing that it's okay to be vulnerable as a male adult, right? Showing that vulnerability and like, you know, and that's really the moment where it changes Daniel because he realizes he's been with this person and been complaining and saying all this other stuff. And meanwhile, Miyagi is giving him and his mom a tree. He's giving like, you know, a bonsai tree. He's he's giving so much of himself to them and absorbing and listening and being there. This is the moment he realizes, holy shit, I don't know anything about this person. I have been extremely selfish. This is not okay. I'm looking at to yeah. him to teach me when I also need to put in the work. And so the montage that we see after that is Daniel like finally taking accountability and doing the work himself, even yeah. when Miyagi's not around. So for him, that's I think when he realizes not everything is about him. And that's when he starts yeah. correcting people. And that's when he starts like he really like moves from like you said like the mentor to mentee to friend like and also to allyship too you know and like because he he had no idea and so that's when he starts thinking about people other than himself and when like he doesn't really have as much fear anymore because like i mean he he does a little bit and he's a little bit shitty but like he starts to try to face that stuff you know yeah I do like the way that they framed these vulnerable moments, though, because Danny has one of these moments, too. But in this one specifically that night, so it's the morning after Daniel finds out about the wife and the unborn child and their training and Miss Miyagi, what well, Daniel, I guess, has a weak punch. Mr. Miyagi says, what are you, some kind of girl or something? And it's like one of the only times he said yeah. anything that was even kind of like low key gross. And I'm like immediately, oh, so this is the movie telling us that Mr. Miyagi is also flawed. Like he is so giving and so specific and so precise and so good. He has so much goodness with him the day after, like, cause I mean, look at that trauma. Like he's fighting for the country who interned him and his family and then his wife and his child die. And now he's on his own. And he has nothing like that is so, so much trauma. And so in this moment of vulnerability, when he shares that trauma, I'm assuming there is still a lot of shame that he carries with him. So even the next morning, I feel like that line is just a direct response to him feeling all of this shame. And that's not something he usually says. So I'm assuming Mm -hmm. like him sharing that with Danny is still on his mind. And so he wants to like jab back a little bit and be like, I'm not weak. I'm a man too. Let me say this misogynist thing. That's really interesting. To make me feel better because I mean, yes, it's gross and yes, it's bad, but it's like a, it's a, it's a way of, it's like regurgitating personal trauma as a way to self soothe is what it felt like. And I thought that that was incredibly interesting because then there was another scene when Daniel and his mom have to push the car in front of Allie's house. So which, which they, we, they have a whole conversation about class privilege and, and poverty shaming, which I was like, we're getting into that in this movie too. That's crazy. <laughs> like that's, in, that's so cool. So it's after this really sort of not shameful, but like semi traumatic night where he's picking up this girl he likes in this rich white suburb. Their family car can only start if you roll it. So they're having to push roll this car in front of the parents who are like, they don't even want their daughter going out with this poor kid anyways. Anyways, it goes on. They go to the arcade. It's this whole thing. Then they have a night that's sort of like her friends are like, we should go here and they all have their own cars and we should go to this party and stuff. So her sort of like rich 
autonomous teenage lifestyle is butting up against Daniel's sort of poor familial, like it's just him and his mom. Like you're seeing this juxtaposition of two worlds completely. And it's a very clear distinction and delineation of class. And you're seeing these two young kids, Allie and Danny having to confront those in a way where they they want to be together and they want to be friends, but they're having to kind of reconcile what their world is and what's becoming in this one small moment as their relationships developing. And there's obvious tension and there's obvious a moment of them getting in the car where she's like, well, if I wanted to go, I would go. Why am I whatever? Like, it's not my fault. And he's like, I'm just saying, if you want to go, you should go. And she's like, if I wanted to, I would like, so there's the, it's this unspoken tension of them acknowledging each other's class in this very real way. And that next morning, Danny hasn't really said anything that's like intentionally problematic until the next morning when he compares Mr. Miyagi's backyard decor to a Chinese restaurant. Mm. When he knows that Mr. Miyagi isn't Chinese Mm -hmm. and then he takes the sanding blocks and does like this little song with them. And it's the only it's it's the only time Daniel does anything that's like low key racist. And it's directly after a night of trauma, uh, directly after a night of shame. Like he is confronted with how he exists in this world in this really shameful way. The next morning, he then instills this gross garbage little thing as a way to self-soothe because I'm sure he's still thinking about it. Mm -hmm. So it's on his mind. And so he just does this little thing as a way to like, I guess, cover up his own shame. So seeing that scene happen and then later Miyagi being vulnerable, feeling this shame, responding with this like low-key misogynist thing to put Daniel down. You're seeing them put each other down in this very kind of sly way but it's really just a response to their own personal shame the dichotomy of those two things juxtaposed as 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 a means of showing personal growth but also that the character is still flawed i was like this is storytelling <laughs> that is it and it's so subtle it's so pick up unobtrusive on that. that's, a, that's a great insight yeah oh, it was it was fantastic i was like it was so subtle it was so not it was like Nothing was extrapolated. It was so specific and simple and easy. And it's just like a weird moment. Like, why would he say that? That's so... You spend an hour with these characters. At that point, an hour with Danny. Then at a certain point, an hour and a half with the two of them. That's so out of character for these people. Like, why are they saying that? And then seeing it tied directly to this moment of shame and trauma, you're like, oh, oh. mm, Wow, that's good. That's that's it. Like, cyclical violence. That's, That's all it is. Oh, it was so I loved it. Oh, my God. I love that moment. It was so intentional. I'm like, that's also really interesting because like pointing out the difference in dealing with trauma and shame. Right. And like so in Miyagi and in Daniel, uh, we can also take that that duality to Miyagi and the Cobra Kai dojo guy because Mm -hmm. so they were both in the war. We know we and we know this because at the cover Kai, you know, it's like, oh, look at here, look at the wall. You see the fucking dojo guy. Like, I, I, I don't know what the fuck his name is. Uh, I don't know. But Co- you see, Cobra Kai, you Street see, Fighter Daddy, whatever. You see Street Fighter Daddy. And he's apparently is like the two time army champion of karate. But instead of seeing him there in like his karate uniform, right? You see him holding a fucking giant ass gun, right? And so like, 
Meanwhile, you have Miyagi, who was also in the war, who was also, like, probably way more decorated than this guy. Like, what he, like, Miyagi has a Medal of Valor, while this guy has, I'm good at karate. Uh, the, the yeah. army says so. The army says I'm good at this, right? And yeah. he, like, displays it there for everybody to see. So he gets more stuff. Well, Miyagi has his stuff, like, in a box, right? And, like, it was traumatic for both of them, I'm sure. War is always traumatic, like, you know, all of that. But the way that Cobra Kai decided to deal with that is to, like, create a militaristic dojo where, like, it is basically Toxic Masculinity Academy, right? And to go Mm -hmm. through and just, like, talking about cyclical violence and stuff, instill those morals and instill that type of thinking into his students, which is the whole reason why this film happens is because if his students weren't as aggressive as they are, like, Daniel wouldn't be beaten up, probably, right? Yeah. So in doing this, Cobra Kai is the one that starts the conflict in this. And, like, it's it's all because he's – it's all just cyclical violence, whereas – Miyagi decided that that was where that ended and he doesn't need everybody to know that he almost died for other people. He doesn't need other people. Like he's not doing it performatively, right? Whereas that is literally all that this shitty white guy that has a fucking karate dojo is. So the way that they both handled trauma, the way that they both handled war, the way that they, you know, cause like that, I think that that speaks volumes as to how different types of people deal with things and also like of course the shitty white guy has a shitty white guy dojo <laughs> like of course oh yeah know? cobra kai <laughs> Where it's like not even about like you know um he he's not he doesn't even at least like follow like the rules of karate where it's about balance and defense and all of this he's just like trying to take this this thing that doesn't belong to him and weaponize it. And by yeah. doing that, he also tries to live vicariously through his kids who are, uh, he has trained to be kind of like his own little military, right? So that's why when yeah. nobody yeah. questions him when he's like, sweep the leg, they're yeah. like, they say like, oh, well, but, and he's like, do it. They had a choice and they decided to do that. And a lot of that is because he drilled these ideas into them, right? And you even saw like that kid that's, uh, that did that like right afterwards, like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry, man. I'm so sorry. I had, I can't like, you know, he was beside himself realizing what he did and why he did it, you know? And so I thought that that was just incredibly interesting. Oh, no. And to, and to further that point about like juxtaposing two different ways of of dealing with um, the trauma of like wartime, specifically, they did a great job of butting good versus evil as the narrative where you're looking at this militaristic dojo where they train to kill, whereas Mr. Miyagi's whole conversation is about we train so we don't have to fight. Mm-hmm. So it's the exact opposite. Both training, one is pacifist, one is violence. So you're seeing those two things butted up against each other. But also I want to point out the really fantastic, like when I saw this, this is when I was like, this movie knows what it's doing. And I trust this movie now. Take me on this journey. I trust you. I'm on board. The moment that his mom gets the job, she works at a restaurant called the Orient Express, which is a problematic name. We know this. That restaurant is literally across the street from this militarized dojo, this sort of like 
bastardization of a culture collected into this violent American view of that thing. It's been reprocessed and regurgitated into this American pride violent factory under the guise of a culture that they have no idea about, a culture they completely don't understand. So you're seeing this racist storefront next to this hyper-American destruction of culture. Those two next to each other as points of plot in the story, I was like, yes, like, (laughs) okay, great. Like, it's just, it's so important that that name of that restaurant was what it was because it like, it just reinstilled this constant american erasure of asian culture constant mm-hmm. it's all the time it's 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 never ending always 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 present and showing these two versions of it and then having mr miyagi this this person of peace this okinawan man walking into this violence factory of something that he's familiar with and having to just exist in that space in this way walking in there Having to exist in that space is a form of violence by itself, apart from the violence that goes on in there. So also, like, he had to probably walk by that restaurant. How many other things is this Asian American walking past in this way that is just another reminder? It's a sign to show your culture doesn't exist anymore. You're just that. You're just this. You're just these things. It's like it was such an important moment to just acknowledge the garbage, toxic sludge that is American culture. In this, and I, as soon as I was just like, yes, yeah, okay. This story is, <laughs> I, we're on the same page. I love this story. You're taking me exactly where I want to go. Tell me more. Like, just, just develop. And then it develops into this really beautiful story. And I'm like, this is incredible. And it's just, ah, it was so good. <laughs> this movie it was so really good. Was. Like, I, I just, like, even the like you know usually i'm like this is the corner of the show where we talk about the treatment of women right um yeah it was so kind to its uh to its uh female characters um before i get into like the individual characters um i do want to point out that in the pe scene at least the first one that we get i think the second one it was a bit reversed but in the pe scene the women are more closed than the men which we never see. The boys were never in short shorts and no shirts. What? And the girls... Was that just an 80s thing? Well, but because... the girls were also, like, they, they didn't have shorts at all. Like, they, I think one of them had shorts, but the other ones had, like, sweatpants and, sweatpants. like, just yeah. a, a big old t-shirt, right? I and, think like, some of them even were wearing, like, cut-off sweaters. Yeah. It was like, yeah, yeah, yeah. While the dudes were, like, short shorts with the Butt no shirts shorts. And thing. Yeah, and I was like, okay, cool. Like, it. this is not a story of co-opting culture and, like, pulling it. And, you know, it's a story of, like, sharing culture and trauma and yeah. working through that together. But in, in the same way that it's so kind to the way that it treats culture and its characters, it is also that same way to its treatment of women and female characters. No, you're so right. It was, like, this... It's treatment of women was also besides that one like line like you hit like a girl or whatever. Danny's relationship with his mom like it was Fucking it was it was so good when it was great. I, I mean, obviously, like there is some struggle, but like even in the moment where he's like, "Hey, you hurt me," and she's like, "You know what? I did. I did hurt you, and I should have asked you about that move, and I didn't, and I am sorry." And he's like, "Okay, 
that's what I wanted. Like, thanks. And she's like, can we go inside? He's like, yes. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like tearing up. That's so great. Like, Uh why aren't these moments happening more? I'm like, what a great relationship where just because she's the parental figure doesn't mean that she's omnipotent and she's correct all the time. Like, ugh. What? Yeah. <laughs> People taking responsibility for their actions. And that's <laughs> what like, is happening? Just another like little subtle way, right? To be like the little subtle things about like you were talking about, like pushing the car. I absolutely had to do that as a kid, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. The, no, one percent. Um, like he's visiting his mom at the at the restaurant, right? Because of course she works at the restaurant across from Cobra Kai. Uh, so they, I guess they. This was originally in the film, and then they cut it, but it's in the novelization, whatever. But um, so. Mom, in the beginning, I was like, is she a scientist? What is she, right? Because she was talking about working with computers and they mentioned something like, oh, NASA, here I come or something, right? And I was like, oh, yeah. what is this? But it turns out that she like was going to work for a place called like Rapid- Rocket Computers or something. But it was like some startup company that went kaput before she even got there, gotcha. right? So that's why rather than being like, oh, poor me, you know, she immediately went and got a job and she like, you know, and then she's like, I'm going to take these manager classes at night so I can do this. Like she's always trying to make the best of whatever situation she's handed. And yeah, yeah, that's exactly like whoever wrote this mom, they got this, they got those little moments. They like, they let you hang on some of the most painful moments, right. Of being a poor kid. Oh yeah. Where again, like in front of the parents, you know, like, don't worry, this happens all the time. You know, like that kind of yeah. thing. Like, and you're just like, oh God, oh God. Like, so you feel that. And so they just, they really fucking nailed that character. And they also made her compassionate. The, the, you see like the chemistry and the way that she talks with her son is just fucking perfect. Like the dialogue is perfect. And then yeah. like moving forward to another female character about like, Allie, right? Allie's like, you know, I mean, she's interested in him. They hang out, you know, her radio gets smashed and she's just like, it's fine. And then Daniel tells her, no, it's not. That's why I said something. And she's like, no, you're right. It's not like she doesn't do the like, oh, well, I shouldn't have. She's just kind of like, thanks for saying that. No, you're right. That was not okay. And yeah, she's, yeah, she's yeah. a gamer. So she's inviting him to the arcade to go play video games. Fucking love that. Love that so yeah. much because how often do we see that, especially in like the 80s, right? Where it's like usually yeah. like think of like Tron and stuff like that, right? That was like, oh, well, I'm going to show my video game skills, blah, 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 blah. And yeah. in that whole thing, like in like the montage where they're there, like, yeah, he shows her how to do something. But she also like she has her arms around him showing him how to do mini golf because he hasn't been able to do that ever in his life. Right. Yeah. So like she's also like, hey, I'm confident. I got this here. I'm gonna help you, you know, and I. Yeah love that she's independent she's powerful she's strong she's all of this other stuff and she's not like i can't live without you i can't do this i can't do that even when he's like avoiding her and stuff she's like where were you what's going on she didn't go up to him and say i'm sorry about like you know the uh johnny kissing her at that thing right she didn't go up and do that he was like acting like a shithead and then her friend was like the one that had to be like, hey, you know that she fucking clobbered him, right? Don't yeah. be a dick. But she was not going to apologize. She fucking held no. her ground. I loved, loved her. Well, because the whole thing is he didn't even bother to ask. He just assumed that she was wrong 
And he was just going to be like, you need to apologize for me because you did something bad. And she's like, you know what? I'm not even going to dignify this with anything. I'm leaving. Please get away from me. You didn't even ask how I am. Like, that's obviously out of character. I wouldn't do that. Why aren't you asking me what that was? Like, you're just assuming that I'm the bad guy in this moment because you want to be right. You want the control. And I'm not going to give you that control. Fuck you. Like, get out of my face. And then when she's like, yeah, she hit him. He went in for a kiss and she punched him. And he's like, oh, well, I didn't know. And she's like, yeah, you didn't know because he didn't ask. Like, what else do you want from that? Like, it's not her responsibility to tell you that this thing happened. You assumed these things. Ask, have a conversation. Don't just assume. So I love. And then immediately after he goes to her and he apologizes. Yeah. He finds her and he's just essentially like, well, uh," he's like, oh, shit. Oh, shit. I fucked up. But that's really what I love about these characters is there's there's like even when there are these bits of of like toxic masculinity or these moments of like like just chauvinistic trash when it happens and then it's called out that person is then like oh shit I didn't even realize I was doing that yeah man I'm sorry like I I fucked up I'm sorry like can we talk about it they know better and you're just like so they can do better Exactly. This movie was entirely that with with the mom, with him, with Mr. Miyagi, with like with with all of these characters. It's it was so good. And even and again, I didn't like this completely, but even the bad guys, the only person on the bad guys team who ends up staying bad till the very end is the coach. Mm-hmm. Everyone else, even the kids, like, so the one kid who, like, ends up almost breaking his leg, I mean, he's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. Even again, he's a shithead and shouldn't have done that. And he shouldn't have listened to this coach. But again, he's a young kid. He's listening to this guy, whatever, not to excuse the behavior because they still think he's trash. But there's a sense of remorse where immediately after it happens, he's like, I messed up and I am wrong and I'm sorry. Immediately. I'm sorry. Immediately, yeah. he knew it. He's like, "That's too far. That's too far. I did it. I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that." And then the main bad kid, the Ali's ex boyfriend, when he loses, he for a moment sulks. But we're like at the last thirty seconds of the movie, right there. He lost. The movie's <laughs> about to end. He's sulking. He immediately gets up, gets the trophy, and gives it to him. And he says, "Congratulations! Like you, you deserved it." Yeah. Like. So, and to me, I'm like, this small moment of you saying congrats to something that he shouldn't have had to work this hard to achieve. Like, y'all literally tried to break his leg so he couldn't compete. Also, you guys are fucking bullies, so fuck you. Like, there is so much badness that you've exuded this whole film. This doesn't absolve you of any of that. But if we're looking at it from a narrative perspective, you're seeing these kids realizing they've done wrong and immediately immediately acknowledging it and immediately trying to do better. And and like, there's no there's no 20 pages of them sulking and being like, well, I think I'm right and they should. No, somebody told you you're wrong. Am I? Well, shit, yeah, you know what? I might be wrong. I'm sorry. It's That's just, not the boom. point of conflict where like in yeah. so many movies, like that would happen and then there's like a 10 minute point of conflict where they have to fucking figure it out and talk about their feelings and go through this and play the victim and then realize okay fine i guess i was wrong but i'm still like i like you know still finding ways to center themselves even in their apology right this is like yeah not even giving that it's just like oh shit i'm sorry what can i do like are we okay and it's not the like 
I'm really sorry. Like, I can't believe that I'm, I'm just like, it's not that like, uh, self-defeating sorry either. It's like an absolute acknowledgement. Yeah, because because the sort of the the sort of self-flagellating like, oh, I'm so sorry, pity me kind of apology just recenters focus on you. You're still the object of like, still pay attention to me because I feel bad now. Like, make me feel better. It's your job to now make me feel better because I feel bad. But I'm sorry. That's gross and toxic and like the the wrong thing to do. And I feel like that's a big thing that white people love to do. But in this moment, these kids are just like man, I am wrong. I'm sorry. This is me. I'm apologizing. I'm going to do better. What's going on later? Like, I'm not going to wallow in this. I may feel shame. Obviously, we all process shame differently, but we're not going to dwell on that. I'm not going to make my shame your problem. You know what I mean? Yeah. Now, imagine like how different would our society be if we had more of this type of apologizing in our media? Yeah, right. How cool would that be? That'd be great. And that's, and again, it's like, Really, truly, and honestly, I was so surprised. Every moment, I was just constantly like, wow, this is great. Like, this is what we should be teaching kids about apology, about being better, you know, like making mistakes, but making changes for the better and knowing when you're wrong and apologizing and just all of it, all of it. Yeah, and I think that's what makes this story so good and so endearing, too. And what makes Daniel so relatable is, like, so much of his character is grounded in fear, whether that's fear of messing up, fear of the bully, fear of just rich people, and, like, that insecurity that comes with being a poor kid surrounded by wealthy people, right? You see, like, he is literally wearing clothes that have holes in them that are fucking dirty, that have holes. When they move to Reseda, they have a laundry basket, a bike, and a trunk full of clothes. That's it. This family doesn't Mm -hmm. have shit. And so, like, to have that and then to go into an immediately wealthy area, he is just so uncomfortable and, you know, doesn't know what his place is, how he's supposed to exist, how he's supposed to deal with bullies. And it's just, of course, he's going to be afraid of messing up. I and mean, of course, all this stuff. And what he really needs is to voice that. So that's why we get so much relief when he talks to his mom and is like, I didn't fucking ask for this. Right. And she's like, no, you didn't. Thanks. You know, like, thank you for saying yeah, that. Yeah. That is this character. He is living in fear of everything and so he takes it on on everybody else right like he does make some shitty comments and you always know like you were saying like you always know why he makes those comments and it's either because he's uncomfortable or it's because he's insecure with himself right or with it's projection yes yes exactly because he doesn't know how to talk about it and he he gets better at doing that you know uh throughout the film right and and trusting people because he doesn't trust anybody you know because he's still like in that mindset everybody's there to hurt me which so much of this town is like you know the the first people that he meets like don't talk to him anymore like once he gets beat up on the beach because like oh this guy's a loser right it's so hard for him and so like he runs away from his problems he projects and takes them out on everybody else and what miyagi does for him is not it's not teaching him karate it's like yeah like that's like a byproduct but what he's really teaching him is how to face his problems and how to see others and how to like how to see himself but yeah that's that's that character (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah. I, 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 I want to bring up another point of just like good writing. I don't know how intentional this was, but assuming, again, I'm going to give give this movie a lot of credit because it felt like everything was a point of intention. So there's the scene where Daniel, the bullies, the Cobra Kai kids are approaching him in the quad. The history teacher is walking by. He decides to ask uh, the history teacher as the bullies are approaching about the Plains Native Americans. And then I think it's a good illustration of like painting Western culture as evil and whiteness as bad because the white kids scatter because they don't want to hear about it. I think that could be an illustration of like, oh, history is boring. I'm going to run away. But he specifically says the Plains Native Americans, right? So these kids, this, this, this group of whiteness, this group that has already co-opted and destroyed a culture at their dojo doesn't want to hear about the brutality of westernization on native americans Ooh, so they yeah. scatter and they run why else would we be talking about specifically plains native americans like that it's very specific and so then they leave because they don't want to hear about it and then the history teacher who is this older white guy is all too excited to tell daniel he grabs him firmly by the arm and leads him to the classroom explaining that the plains indians were a savage group so yes. that's all we hear the 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 teacher say he's like pinching Daniel's arm walking him so eager to tell him how bad the Native American people were and why they deserved death. So this movie is already really clearly illustrating the destruction of culture in such a systemic and disgusting way and the treatment of any non-white people in America, how just the existence of that sort of destruction of culture is violence, right? So then you have this scene. It was so, I was just like, what what is that <laughs> like this is so almost like poetic like these kids are approaching and he uses their own historical violence of indigenous people to scare them away from them beating him up Ugh. like in a really simple simple way i was like that's wild that's so wild yeah that was so impressive <laughs> <laughs> this movie was so intentional. Like you said, it felt like every line of dialogue, every scene, every shot, every every reaction, every yeah. everything was so intentional. And yeah. I fucking love this movie. I love Same. it so much more than I thought that I did. I like, you know, as a kid, Same. I was like, oh man, this is a good movie, you know? But fuck man, this is a great movie. This is an amazing movie. Watch this. You will feel so good. It feels so good. Yeah. Truly, yeah. If you haven't watched it ever or watched it in a while, honestly, like, there is only that one thing that's messy and the rest of it, for the most part, is damn near perfect. Like, because like you were saying earlier, oftentimes I feel like when people are like, oh, that's my favorite movie. I'm like, no, white people are messy. This is probably hella problematic and fucked up. And I, okay, sure. So hearing that The Karate Kid is a lot of people's favorite movie, I'm like, okay, sure, Jan. Like, I wonder how this is going to be racist towards Asian people. Fuck. Like, this movie was great. Like, surprisingly, surprisingly great. Just more of this. More, please. Yeah, agreed. Uh. After relocating from Detroit to China, a pre-teenage Dre Parker strikes up a conversation with local hottie May and is subsequently bullied by a jealous classmate and his friends. As the romance blossoms, the bullying escalates, causing the apartment handyman, Mr. Han, to intervene. 
In an effort to end the violence, Mr. Han confronts the leader of the local baddie dojo and accidentally ends up getting Dre involved in a kung fu tournament to settle things once and for all. Mr. Han puts Dre through what feels like remedial tasks, but JK, it's great defensive strategy. The two grow close, Dre does the tournament, legs get swept, high kick, the end. 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 Bada boom. End. end. Yeah, so this- also ended as abruptly. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So this, yeah, this was- like I, I feel like some of the remakes have they take a lot of liberties as far as like oh we can just like recontextualize this with like whatever this was just a remake the exact same plot for the most part different character names different place but it was essentially the exact same thing. We do have to say before we get any further into this, so um, we did not have any of the Chinese subtitles. At all. Oh, yeah. Um, and I looked it up and I was like, wait, what? And the interview was really confusing. But um, we both watched it on the same platform. And apparently the 4K Blu-ray whatever thing does not have the Chinese subtitles. Yeah. So we do not know what they were saying. We we can only guess because it was like yeah. a, pretty much a direct remake, right? And... Because the first half is very, very Chinese heavy. So it was like there was like 10 minutes where I didn't I didn't know it was happening or like yeah. I knew it was happening, you know, because I seen the first one. But um, but I kind of it grew on me and I really liked that I didn't have that take. So much of it was Chinese. It was like, oh, OK. But it was really interesting the way it makes you sympathize with what Dre is going through. Yeah, you know, they, and those they, language barriers and everything. Yeah, they're, they're using the they're using his struggle as uh, like an expat, as like a as an outsider in this culture. That experience of being othered is kind of like the audience surrogate. Our hero in this is almost like our audience surrogate in this specific one because you're experiencing what he is. I mean, obviously, assuming you can't speak Mandarin, right? There's a big assumption on that end, but. Yeah, I really did enjoy the moments where, like, it's not sugarcoating the language. Yeah. Uh, like, the the way that that happened, or I saw that happen, was, like, Dre would be, like, what they say, or, like, somebody would just say, oh, this person said this. Yeah. And that happened very few and far in between that that happened. Yeah. But, yeah, it was really interesting. I guess there were, because I think I saw this in the theaters, but and I was like, I don't remember there not being subtitles. So there were subtitles, just not on the version that we watched. But it gave us a really uh, a really interesting take. And I kind of, I really back it. I, ba- I back it now. Same. I like, I, I really did enjoy that. I will, though, follow that up with, I didn't really enjoy this movie. I thought it was a very kind of clunky retelling of because like going from this obviously very well written version of this story to like this other thing i also want to very very explicitly and clearly point out that this movie is about the black experience in china so a black family moves to china this movie was directed and written by two separate white men so this These two white people are trying to write about the black experience, but also what that experience looks like in China. Um, And we get very, very clear imagery of what that would look like a white person writing this, where the first line that Taraji B. Henson essentially says when she comes in the room to see Dre, she says, we're on a quest to start a new life in a magical new land. Magical. 
<laughs> that okay, cool. Yeah. This is a fun start to a movie. Let's like oh, great. Also, she didn't Chinese- do any of the work before moving there. I was um incredibly frustrated with the fact that she's like, "Cool, we're going to move to China and everything's going to be great, dude." And she doesn't know the language. Which, okay, whatever. But she also is super, like, patronizing and super, like, shitty to the point to where, like, the first thing, they are on the fucking plane to go to China. And she's like, you need to study your your Chinese. You need to practice. Look, look over at him and tell him. Tell him your name in Chinese, right? So- and he's like, no, mom, I'm not going to do that. And she's like, you need to do it. And so he, like, looks over and he's like, uh... Uh, and he tries to like say what's your name in yeah. Mandarin, and the dude's like, oh, like I'm from Detroit. I don't know. Yeah. yeah, and he's like, oh, so right, and then this, like, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. I just to to just jump on that specifically. Also, again, knowing that this was written by a white man and directed by a different white man, writing for a black female character. They stereotyped the fuck out of her. Like, yes, they to a point where, like, almost every time there's a moment where she's, like, just yelling at him for no reason, I'm like, oh, so you're just doing the angry black woman stereotype. Great. This isn't reductive at all. Cool. They're also making, like, like I get there are certain moments where I'm like, because Taraji B. Henson, she's such a fantastic actor that to I me, love her. Yeah. these moments, I was like, this seems so unrealistic. Like, she's a good actor, but this is, like... This text is bad. Like these scenes are not well constructed. And then where they're like touching her hair, okay, like there's you know ten what? children touching Straight her hair. Up. She's loving it. She's loving well, these before, kids asking her to touch her hair. Before that, when they get there, and Dre, I keep wanting to just say Jaden. <laughs> Dre goes out with his new friend who he met. This other American kid uh, who speaks Mandarin, who can kind of like get him by. They go to the playground that's near their apartment complex. The first thing that happens is he's like, I assume, I assume you play. He has a basketball. They're playing basketball. I assume you play. Gee, why do we assume that y'all? Cause he's the only black kid. And then they try to make that a comedic moment when he's not good at basketball. So they're like, see a black person who's not good at basketball. I'm like, what the fuck is this movie? Why is that a comedic beat? What, especially like, what the fuck? And then that scene is immediately followed by him going up to, uh, May and trying mm-hmm. to like flirt with her. Mm-hmm. The first thing she says to him is, can I touch your hair? Can I touch your hair? The first fucking thing she says to him is, can I touch yes. your hair? And then after the, this basketball thing, the hair thing, he's not good. Funny comedic beat. The cutscene to the next moment is a market. Somebody's cutting open a watermelon. And it does a close-up of them cutting open a watermelon. You guys, what the fuck is this movie? This was written and directed by white people. They are, what, what, what is happening? Like, are you kidding me with this? And again, to me, I'm like, if this was written by a black person or directed by a black person to articulate the black experience of being in a different country, because I know that that happens for a lot of black people abroad. It's 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 a little less um it's a little more common for people to just want to touch your hair or take pictures with you, right? But you, I like if you're white, this isn't your story to fucking tell. And and so to me I'm like if a black writer or a black director wants to like express that experience in this way, I'm like, yeah, that's great. Cool. 
But in this one scene, in this one scene, it's the intro. It's like the, our introductory scene to experience abroad. You're just like stereotype, subvert the stereotype as comedic beat to make fun of the black kid. Can I touch your hair? You're different. You're other. You're other. I get the story is about him being different and othered. It's clear. It's obvious. He's the only black kid anywhere for the most part. So he is different. Yeah, it's a story about feeling other. That is the the narrative structure baseline for this story. But in that scene, to have all of these moments, and then the cutscene is somebody cutting open specifically a fruit that is so charged as racially divisive and as a stereotype to put down black people. Why? 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 Why, everybody? Like, what the fuck is that? And as soon as that scene happened, I was kind of like, you know what? I'm done with this. Because also, I have a big problem with Jackie Chan, too. He's a piece of shit in real life. So I'm like, peace the fuck out, Jackie Chan. So the only people in this that I was into, I was like, obviously, Jaden Smith and Taraji B. Henson they're great and I think they're great actors and Jaden fucking killed it. Like the scene where he's crying to his mom, like I don't want to be here. I was like, you are an actor. Go off. Like this is great. I love this. But anything with Jackie Chan, I was like, this is whatever. The action sequences were fantastic. That was great. Mm -hmm. But like if you're setting the stage with this really, really tone deaf fucking scene, specifically, ah, just like what kind of blatant, fucking garbage is that i was just i was so take because i didn't know it was written and directed by two white guys Mm -hmm. as the scene was happening i paused it i looked it up because i was like you know what i just need to we need to find out right now what is happening with this and when it was that and then it just continued to be bad i was like Ooh, this is well, bad. Well, yeah, because every time that like you would kind of forget about it or you'd start to like get at least like okay like we're at least away from that, right? Let's do something else. Like it would always bring you back in or remind you of, of that through, um, first they love to do it with the mom, right? Because she's easy. Her whole role is to like nag her son to pick up his fucking jacket, right? And to be like, Oh, look, I know you sent me the packet for his school, but I didn't read it. You know, yeah. I've just been so busy. Oh my God, I've been so busy. And then she goes to like the, when they go to the Valentine's festival, right? And she is in that dress, you know, the, the red yeah. dress and, and everybody else is just fucking wearing what they would normally wear, right? Like she's, ah, she gave off just, Karen vibes to me. She gave well, off just, like, ooh, like, cause that I, to me, I, I don't understand why. Like, you're retelling this story. All the characters essentially are the same. Why did you change the mother so completely? The Why only... is she a stereotype? Exactly. And that's the only reason they changed her is to fit a stereotype about black women. That's the mm-hmm. only reason they changed it. They made her a stereotype for a comedic bit. Because every one of those moments, they're trying to make it a comedic beat. Like, talk to him. Talk to him. You need to talk to him and practice your Mandarin. Okay, he does it. And it's... He speaks English. He's from Detroit. Ha ha ha. It's funny because it's racist. Like, it's a mess. So that's funny. And then when she's yelling at her son, like, we didn't move all the way over here for you to drop your jacket on the ground. Ha ha. That's so funny because whatever. Oh, the packet? Didn't read it. Ha ha. That's so funny. Every moment of stereotype for her that they wrote for her is supposed to be a comedic beat. They changed the character to fit the stereotype to make her the butt of the joke, to make her look bad for comedy, which is just absolute grotesque garbage and just also this was executive produced by will smith and jada pinkett smith 
to me, I don't know what an executive producer of credit means really in context. Cause to me, it's just like, well, Jaden's like 11. So they're there to help oversee it. So I'm assuming they're going to get some kind of credit for this. Cause they also have to be there. Executive producer. Cool. I don't know how much of a handle they had in like the story narrative or whatever, but like, Oh my God. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah. And then like the whole reason that May likes <sighs> Dre is because she's exoticizing him. Because he's different, right? Yes. Can I touch your hair? It. Is the very first thing out of his mouth, right? And then he's yep. also like kind of forbidden, right? And so for like a woman that, uh, a young woman that is just so controlled by her parents and every moment she has to be doing something, she has to like, she has to get into the school. We don't even, we don't know anything. She, there's like a throwaway line of like, what's going to happen if I don't get in the school? And they're like, what's going to happen to your family if you don't get in the school? And it's like, okay, are we going there? Are we going to do this? No, that's just another stereotypical line to throw in. And yeah. it all felt incredibly messy. And I didn't really buy into them liking each other. I buy, I would buy into a friendship, but I don't really buy into the like, just because, yeah, it's, it's, she was exoticizing him. And it's just like, yeah. I, I had a big problem with that. It was bad. And then even like, this is a story also about mentorship and friendship between in what is originally Miyagi and De La Russo, you see their friendship bloom. You see it go from acquaintanceship to mentorship to friendship. You see those very distinct moments of, of vulnerability and kindness and, and grief and shame. And you see that all intertwined in this really wonderful friendship movie. Despite the age gap, despite it all, like they become friends and it's beautiful. I didn't see any of that in this movie. None of that. Hardly. The only time that any of that happened was the car scene, which I will say that scene was great. The acting was great. Jackie Chan did a great job. Jaden did a great job. It was great. I will also fully say that that scene was completely fucking unearned. They did not get there. Yes. They did not emotionally get there at all. It was just like, everything's, everything's great. Everything's whatever. And oh man, what's happening in here? Boom. Toned down. Intense, sad scene. They did not get there they didn't earn their way to that scene because that scene was moving that scene was intense it was smoldering the performances were fantastic but the story never got there like it was so less impactful for me because i wasn't i I just we we didn't get there narratively but now we're throwing the scene in and i'm emotionally confused because i'm like okay like i know this is sad but like because I saw the last one, I know what's happening, but like, I just feel like we didn't get there with these characters at all. Um, I think you're right. I don't think we did. And I think, like, let me say that I did love the car scene, seeing Jackie yeah. Chan just like crying his eyes out when he's usually just beating the hell out of people, right? Like, seeing him be so vulnerable and seeing them make that okay and like the way that they worked through that, I thought that that was a great scene. Um, yeah. But yeah, you're right. They like, and, and I cried. I cried because I'm emotional lately. Okay. Um, <laughs> no, but, but um, <laughs> the scene had weight. The no. scene by itself had weight. I, I agree. Oh, it was intense. So, yeah. But um, <laughs> also, yeah, they didn't earn it. And you can also tell that because like they watered down Miyagi's story, like the yeah. like that sort of story. 
Before it was his country imprisoned him and his wife and she was killed because of their negligence and because of them, like them not caring when he was putting his life on the, it was also, she was killed just from, she was just killed from racism, like straight up bar none. She was killed because of racism. (laughs) Like, and in this one, they had a fight and he, and it was raining and (sighs) they died. And so rather than like, you know, Miyagi is grieving in a healthy way. He's living his life. He's doing his thing. And yeah, like he has a, like tucked away in a box or whatever, but he brings that out every year and he cries it out and he just fucking lets it out. Right. Whereas Mr. Han has the car that he killed his son and his wife in what? in his fucking living room. And he yeah. spends an entire day destroying the car and then like a whole like 364 days fixing the car like that is at that is so like when you think about that and that, that is level so of toxic that is toxic masculinity a thousand what, percent like and, absolutely like and then because that's all he's held on to he didn't have anything to give to no. dre so there's no like Here's the patch. Here's the car. And the car has my dog tags in it, right? So in the Miyagi Daniel scene, that is literally him giving that up. And that's him moving past that and recognizing that his friend helped him through that. And like, you know, there's like this relationship where they're able to like, uh, it's it's just so deep. And they, they just yeah. didn't have any of that in this. No, they had none of it. And it was so like, and also what happened to the car? Like, did he keep it? Is he just going to keep the car and just keep this cyclical toxic energy of destruction and using violence as a means of therapy? Like why? And also there's no growth on his end. So why, why are we to believe that Dre is going to learn anything from this man who cannot process emotion himself, who cannot grow himself, who cannot have within himself the discipline to be vulnerable in this way and allow himself that kindness and that that joy, despite the horror of of losing your family, despite the horror of of all of these things, like why are we to trust him to be the one to teach well, Dre anything? Like he sucks. And all of the things that he tells Dre, he doesn't practice himself, right? So like <laughs> no. um, he says, being still and doing nothing are two different things. What the fuck are you doing? Like you are like he he's always putting himself on this pedestal, like which is another thing toxic masculinity does. Right. Where you put yourself on this pedestal and you're like, cool, this is where I am. This is where I exist. I'm I am good. I am being still. I'm not doing nothing where it's like, no, actually, you are doing nothing. He's he's unable to examine himself, but instead he Mm -hmm. will pass judgment on others. He's a bad guy. He's not a good character, which is so yeah. disheartening. Like, because because Miyagi was so so good. Miyagi it was feel, uh, this this whole movie uh, felt like making this story happen in China, and like you were saying, like the black experience, and without doing any of the without doing any of the work or bringing in the right voices to talk about this, right? Like, and stripping characters down to stereotypes and exoticism and all this other stuff, it really stripped it down so you don't, like, there's no substance. 
There's no and substance. there's you don't go on this journey and you don't like it like you said it doesn't earn these moments and whereas the other one was so it was so much about Miyagi and about Daniel and the journey they're going through emotionally and you know like it it's this is just singular about Dre yeah and that's that's it I mean to me I will say there were some outstanding performances again. Taraji B. Henson did the best with what she was given. She was given a garbage script and she did what she could, which is unfortunate because it really didn't paint. It just it just did such a racist disservice to these actors because again, Taraji's fantastic. Um, Jaden's fantastic. I think they like Jaden's lines were good. He also performed fantastically. Like he was very good. Yeah. Jackie Chan, even though I have a problem with him. He did a great job. Oh, I'll get into why I have a problem with him. I I looked up a little bit more specifically. Um, I mean, apart from him being just a generally recognized asshole in real life, as a young person, I don't know that. I don't know shit about him. When he, I guess, apparently when he got famous, he like he released a book where he just kind of like said everything with he's just like judge me or whatever. It doesn't matter. He would regularly drive drunk, like just. That was just his choice, and he totaled several cars. And when reporters would, serious? when when reporters like several times, reporters would see the accident and try to report on it. He would threaten their lives. Either he's going to kill them if they report on this accident, or he'll beat them up because he's a great fighter. I mean, that's inarguable. He is fantastic at fighting, um, and he's well known for that. So a lot of that went unreported because he would threaten violence on these people for driving drunk, which is an act of violence. He's a fucking asshole. Also, I mean, he was having affairs regularly. And at one point, um, one of his affairs, I, I don't know her name, but she got pregnant. And he didn't acknowledge her or the pregnancy until nine days before she was born, at which point he had admitted that he had an affair and then completely disregarded her as a child, claiming that it's not his, um, that she doesn't exist. Also, that daughter is gay and was disowned by her mom. <laughs> like, so it's a whole thing. Oh, um, no. And so he's like, out, apparently relatively outspokenly like, well, she's not even my daughter, so why should I care if she's gay? Like, it's just this whole thing. He's a mess. Also, when his son was small, he beat him. Um, I guess he couldn't handle certain moments of fatherhood. So at a certain point, he believes that you should like beat your kids. That's something that he agrees with. But then at one point, I guess he went further than beating his kid. He grabbed his child and threw his child across the room because he couldn't handle fatherhood because he's an asshole and absolutely toxic in every way. So there's a lot about Jackie Chan. So knowing this, because more often than not, whenever I see him in the movie, I'm like, yay, I fuck Jackie Chan sick. Like he's such a good fighter. Um, in his comedic roles, he's very funny. I'm on board. Knowing this now, um, watching this, I was so fucking over. Like, I just, Jackie Chan, I'm like, cool, good for you, fucking dick. Like, <laughs> I was so mad at him. Wow. I was just like, I had yeah. no idea. That's funny. Yeah, it's, it's a lot of just toxic shit. And apparently a lot, again, I don't know enough about Chinese culture or um, the politics of China at all. Like, I'm incredibly ignorant on that. So I don't want to speak too much on it. But I know that, a lot of Chinese citizens think he's an absolute asshole because he's very like pro government, um, pro cop, pro like um, he thinks that the Chinese population should be restricted and should be controlled by the government. He thinks there there will be lawlessness otherwise. Like he's just very bootlicky and 
trash. I'm sure he, yeah, it's like he's just bad in like every gross, toxic way you can kind of think of. He's I a mean, mess. <laughs> I mean, the real embodiment of toxic masculinity, yeah, right? Kind like of. It's really it's, like of cyclical violence, which is basically his character like okay knowing that and taking that to this character right where he would get drunk constantly and he totaled cars and he beat kids yeah and he was like when his wife died he was arguing with her in the car that he totaled that killed his son and his wife and then his way of dealing with that is through violence every year like holy shit so so i know it's a characterization and it's written to the script but Watching that scene, knowing these things about him, not only was the scene unearned, but him in it, he definitely acted his way in that because he was like, I felt nothing in the scene because of what I know about him as a person, but I could see it's well acted. It's a well acted scene, but I felt nothing compelled by it because just because I know that like his history with violence, his history with drunk driving, I'm just like, you're, you suck. Oh, he also said this thing in his book. You know, I don't. I, it's not that a direct quote, but he said that when he got famous. Um, oh, he also used the excuse of he would drive drunk and do all this reckless shit to prove the naysayers wrong. That like, see, I got here, I'm famous now. Boo to you! I can do this. It's Gross. like you're a fool. But he said that he can no longer find women beautiful because when he was younger, he had so many beautiful women coming to him and he's been with so many women that he's now desensitized to female beauty. <laughs> so he just, he just doesn't. Is that, is that because nobody wants to bone him anymore? Cause he's too fucking know. old. So I don't know. that sounds I don't... like the biggest, like, well, I mean, like, I don't even see, I, people aren't even pretty anymore. So like, I don't, yeah. like, I don't care. It really, like, like, cause even, like, even the like, uh, him being old thing, I don't want to like, because I don't think it's like an ageist thing. It's just simply he is so toxic that he truly thinks that he's been desensitized to the eroticism of female bodies. Again, he's just looking at women as objects. It's a very disgusting reiterative thing, but he's so past. He's so he's like post sex, I guess, or he's post beauty or post feminine beauty. I, it doesn't make any sense. It just makes him sound like an asshole, and because he is an asshole. So, um, anyways, Jackie Chan, everybody. <laughs> what a fucking yeah. garbage person! And please, I uh, like no a lot idea. of this stuff. I did research on it, but again. I didn't cite a lot of my sources, so if you're listening to this and I got any of that wrong, because I don't want to. I don't want to degrade somebody if I'm getting any of this wrong from what it sounds like, from what I've read from several things and also quotes from his actual biography that he's written about himself or autobiography that he's written about himself. He has said these things. So this isn't, I don't think this is like a character assassination that isn't of note uh, or, or unrealistic. I think that most of these things have happened and are true, which just shades him as a completely different person than then again like what is even my relationship with jackie chan i don't have one he's an actor whatever but just like it is good to know who the i don't know i just fuck jackie chan man i think <laughs> i think him. it is it is important to like you know because so many people like idolize him like so yeah you do 
in the same way that you're critical, like we try to be critical of media that we like also be critical of celebrities and just be fucking critical in general, you know, of your friends, of your like of all of these things, but especially of your heroes and especially of things that you love. And that also leads me to the biggest one of my biggest problems with these movies is even though it's like the good sensei is trying to be like, you know, it's good versus evil. Right. But and the one is like, this is for fighting. This is a fighting guy. This is a this is what this is a bad. Right. And then the other one is like, but balance. This is for self-defense. This is for this. The resolution still takes place and is still resolved through violence. Yeah. Oh, yeah. hundred percent. It, it It is this weird the only way to resolve this honorably is to aggress, which seems incorrect based on what we're being taught. Like, especially from, even if we're looking at the first one, I guess I didn't look at it this way initially, but even Mr. Miyagi, who says, we train so we don't have to fight. Okay, and I 100% agree with that, to be able to 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 know how to protect instead of aggress. Like, I absolutely agree with that pacifism all the way on board we fuck but also if if somebody's destroying you know how to protect yourself and make sure that that doesn't happen like i'm on board miyagi you're sick we love but why did he have to fight in the tournament you're totally right why was that why like i get we need this big apex of conflict we need this moment of sort of end of narrative end of act four whatever resolution we need a comeuppance moment of the bad guy getting theirs, whereas our hero gets his. Like, we need that as a resolution. So I guess it makes sense to, like, a big brawl, but it's a structured brawl. Yeah. Well, but then you're you're right. But, like, so let's say they did the karate fight, right? And then, like, he's yeah. incapacitated, right? Rather than doing the the healing ritual on Daniel or on Dre, why can't it just end there? And it doesn't end there because, like, that's where, like, the mentor always decides, like, no, 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 you've had enough. Like, you know, you, you, this was about, like, this is about you gaining respect. You have the respect now. Like, you know, you made it here. You proved yourself. But the kid in both films says that they will not be able to face themselves if they don't finish this. Jaden says that he, has to get back up because he's still scared and because the only way for him to get past that is to continue to fight. And I I really liked that Dre was like, I'm scared. That's why I have to do this is I have to do this because I'm scared. But that is also in direct conflict with the lessons that his teacher was trying to impose on him, right? And it's kind of the same thing in the other one. Again, I forget exactly the wording, but it was like, something to the effect of why do you still need to do this and he's like i'm never like this is it i'm never gonna get the respect i'm never gonna do all this and then what happens what happens there's fucking three more movies after the first karate kid i think two is good i like they go to okinawa but um so i also i also want to see the one with hillary swank i hear that that one's good too right I, I don't know. I, I want to now, now that I know that I, I want to go back and I want to watch all this yeah. stuff. But yeah, so like, so we think, okay, cool. So he has gotten his respect. He's gotten this. But now why does it have to go international? Or why do, why does he have to continue to perpetuate this violence and to live this violent lifestyle? Why is this not where this ended? If, if we were really talking about karate and kung fu as the balance, as self-defense, 
why do you need to take it to that next level? Yeah. And why why is that the only way that you're able to get that respect? And if that's the only way to get respect from people, you're trying to hang out with the wrong fucking people. You're absolutely right. It was it, it is confusing and also it's just so silly like the genderedness of it all, the bi-genderedness of the boys got to fight and the girls whatever, like just the gross binary aspect of just like boys boys girls girls that's just the way it is and you're like oh, oh shut up this like, movie fuck was off. also just not kind to uh the the remake not kind to its female characters like we said like they basically became tropes you know mom yeah. couldn't oh, yeah. really exist and wasn't we don't really see her happy ever we just see her no. kind of like feigning right and kind of like faking it till she makes it right but like we we don't get anything from her like we did from the first mom also the love interest like she doesn't really stand on her own her whole thing is she plays a sad song and she has controlling parents so she's looking to dre as like a way out or as something different but like by doing that like she isn't really a character on her own yeah you know she's the stereotypical young asian woman that plays violin and yeah. that if she doesn't do well, then something is going to happen to her parents. There is something to be said. I, I, I culturally, I'm not well versed enough. It did seem, I, I don't know, like that. I guess those moments of like she can't date him anymore because he's taking away from her studies. That kind of like those those moments. Also, that felt very coded. That didn't feel like you can't date him because you went to the arcade this one time. That was that felt very. You can't date him because he's black. Oh like, yeah, yeah. You know what he's I mean? Not Chinese. Because initially, I forgot why. Like when he gets to the recital, he's a little late, and then she does well, and then walks out with the pants. She's like, "I can't be friends with you anymore." I was kind of like, "Why? What the fuck did he do?" Like, oh, he's black. That's right. And then later in his apology letter, he's like, "I'm sorry, I took you away, and we went to the arcade." I was like, "Oh, that was their reasoning." Oh, I didn't realize, I guess, that that was like, why? Because it that wasn't, mm-hmm. I guess, clear enough. I do remember that it was a Lady Gaga song on the DDR machine, which was like <laughs> Also, cute. they weren't actually playing DDR. They were just fucking It was around. something else. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah. No, just, they weren't they were not hitting those fucking arrows, guys. No, they she, were she was they were faking it. She was doing Britney Spears' toxic on that machine. She was not playing <laughs> DDR. I was like, girl, get it. That's awesome. I'm happy for you. And I'm stoked that you know this choreo. Um, but you're not playing the video game. <laughs> that is not something you're doing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just, but yeah. Also, that- also like, think about, uh, sorry, just not to distract really quick. So in the last one, Allie was the one pulling Daniel to the arcade, right? And she was yeah. the one that was like, cool, let's play some games. And she was fucking awesome at games, right? And this one, we have to make sure everybody understands their role. And so she, like, Jaden had to take her to the arcade and he had to encourage her to play games and be like, oh, no, it's okay. It's cool. And the only moment that we really see her and really see her start to open up is when she dances, you know? And yeah, that's, yeah, like, yeah. the only time she's fucking confident in the whole goddamn movie. Yeah. Sorry. Go on. No, I think that 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 is where I think my I, my thought process had ended but i do want to shout out the main kid the main bad kid i think his name was chang he was fantastic <laughs> like he's he, great 
he did such a good job like being an absolute fucking asshole like he was <laughs> he was so he was so mean and he was great at fighting and he was so mean it he to me like because that other kid in the first one is just some like goofy fucking white surfer from fucking malibu some goofy ass yeah. kid and he's just like what i'll fight you like what and it's just it felt so like is this an offspring music video like come on kid like this is too much it was so, he was so goofy as being the bad guy and i was like oh yeah, all right yeah, fine yeah 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 it's just yeah exactly thank you so much <laughs> but this 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 kid in the remake i believed that he was a bully i believed that he was like oh yeah like the anger that he carried in his face at all times was so good i just his performance was great and they were like when they were fighting in the last thing and he does like a flip and then just like elbows down and the look on his face when he like wants to keep going i'm like oh my god like this kid is bad but he just did a fantastic (laughs) he did he did a great job yeah i was like thoroughly and again reiterating that the performances in this movie given what they were given were good but again fuck the director and fuck the writer for this (laughs) i i i still stand by like the original like the first narrative just in the way that they really really articulate the badness of american culture the American, yes. the, the the American culture as the evil, and articulating that through the guise of this silly white kid being this bad. He's like kind of a crummy fighter, but he's also a goofball, and he's also silly, but he's this ignorant piece of shit who's also just a bully. Um, mm-hmm. I stand like I mean that was narratively it made perfect sense, and I was like here, but yeah, just villainous. Like villainous energy in general, this kid had it. He was so good. Uh, yeah, I would it was be great. scared shitless if he was gonna like come and try to beat me up. Like, cause that for he sure. can fucking fight. He can fight. Yeah. So, like when Dre is running away, and then he gets past that gate, and then he looks up. This kid scaled the wall and just jumps off the wall and keeps chasing him. I'm like, oh my god, no, I'm fucked. This is <laughs> fucked up. Like this, I'm this is, I am this done. is bad. <laughs> I was like, you need you need to run as fast as you can because this kid is obviously dangerous. Go, go, go. This is now a horror film. Um, you need to go. He is gonna kill you. This is not a good situation. Oh my god! Uh, a lot of good performances in this movie, but the movie was bad. It's D-A-D. a bad movie. Yeah, bad, it's, a, bad, it's bad. a big bad movie. Honestly, and you know what? White writers. That first Karate Kid was written by a white man. He also got a he got a writing credit for this other one too, but that's just because they essentially took his story and redid it. Yes. That movie was well written and well intentioned and all this stuff. I <sighs> white writers should not be writing about the experiences of people of color in any way. Like the fact that these two men had the audacity to write about the black experience as expats in another country like you don't know what that is like. What the fuck do you, what are you, what is it your business writing about any of this? Like, truly, it's none of your fucking business. Like, you shouldn't be the one telling the story. And proud of Jaden, good for him. He, great performance. Again, Taraji B. Henson, great performance. Proud of her. Fuck this script. Fuck this r- trash story of them just 
stereotyping the fucking shit out of these actors in this story. And I uh, just, I it just, it was so, that scene made me so mad. Like I was, it was just so disheartening. I was like, this is gross. Like this is just such yeah. a gross misjudgment. And again, I don't even think it's a misjudgment. It was all intentional. Like how is making these black characters the butt of the joke? How is that? a misjudgment it seems very intentional it seems like a very white intentional thing to do to put down the black folks in this through your script and through your direction i'm done with this one me too we're back okay we made it back we made it back okay eric what did you think of the very first karate kid who was it for the very first Karate Kid, I'm going to say was rated E for everyone because I truly think that anybody who watches that movie could take away something good from it. It was so well-intentioned. It was so well-written. It was a great story. Again, obviously, big, glaring, racist, piece-of-shit moment. But apart from that, everything else about it is great. Like you can, you can take so much away from this. So it is rated E for everyone. It's literally for anybody who wants to watch it. <laughs> What, who did you think it was for? I agree. I think that it was for everybody. I think everybody should watch it. I think it's a great piece of storytelling, both cinematically, yeah. like, you know, story-wise, pacing-wise. I think it was just so intentional. And it was oh, yeah. so, it was just such a breath of fresh air to see to see this and to be like, oh my God, this holds up. Oh my God, it's so... I I needed I I was having a really bad day when I watched this and watching this made me feel better and made me feel like anything was possible and just like seeing a world where like it's not like you know where it has just like you know the real world it has every fucking chance and every possibility of being shitty of being racist of being in these like you know questionable situations and like seeing how we handle that and how we handle others and how people are treated just everything was so nuanced everything was so good and so thoughtful and yes and and oh oh no i'm sorry like just just that power like realizing that i had never realized that until we were just talking about it just like holy shit more yeah. of this because it's yeah. it was also so many times when people when people have the best of intentions you know for for a film like that and they're like okay cool i'm gonna do this i'm gonna make this it can be a little bit handholdy or it could feel a little bit forced this was so natural and it was so so good and yeah. um we need more of this agreed i have a question did you ever watch the fifth element oh yeah uh, you like the not fifth in element? a long time I haven't seen it in a long time. So I okay. I I enjoy sci-fi, which has some fucking horrible tropes. Yeah. Um, but I think I think I do. So I've al- and I haven't watched it in a while either, but I've always really loved the fifth element. Um he also wrote the fifth element. <laughs> oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm so super it makes, on board. It makes sense. So it, it was him and um the director Luke Basson. I think Luke Basson who directed The Fifth Element, they wrote, they co-wrote The Fifth Element together. Oh my God, I love that. I want to go watch it now because like, you know, you have to, I feel like I have to qualify everything and be like, I think I love this. I remember liking this. I don't remember enough about it and I haven't seen it, you know? But like, I remember, 
I remember liking it. I loved this movie, and now it gives me so much hope for that one. Yeah, um, okay, cool. Uh, did you like it? I This is, I will fully and honestly, I think, confidently say that this has been my favorite movie to watch of anything we've watched. Because, I mean, a lot of the movies that we watched in the past I've like liked and have given good critique. But I don't know if I've, like... This movie is great. Like, when people say it's a classic, it's a classic. I'm so bored of people saying, cla- like, it's a classic. Like, what the fuck does a classic mean? Like, it's so arbitrary. It's so subjective. It's 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 just drenched in nostalgia, probably in a very problematic way. So, like, it has all these things. So, I don't want to say it's a classic, but it's a fucking classic. <laughs> like, it's <laughs> it's actually, like... It is a, it's good. It's a, it's a good movie. It's like, it's a good piece. It's like a honey crisp apple. It's like a good piece of fruit. Like it's just, it's just, it's good for you. It tastes good. It's, it's just good. It's good. It's a good movie. (laughs) Did you like it? (laughs) I love this movie. I feel like anytime I'm feeling down, I'm going to watch this movie. This is how, as a white person, if you are going to tell a story like this, this is how you should fucking do it. Yeah, I'm I just. I can't praise it high enough. I love this ma'am. movie. It it's just well. So again, attention is a big point of discussion, and I know you guys have probably heard us say the word intention a million fucking times. But mm. intention, 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 intention. This movie was so intentional, um, and it's good. So if you haven't watched it, go watch it. Uh, it's great, and um, yeah, that's it. That's great. <laughs> that, that's that one. All right, flash forward to. 2010 Karate yes. Kid with Jackie Chan and Jaden Smith. Eric yes. Lafibri, what did you think? I. Was it uh, new and interesting or the same? <laughs> no, sorry, I got no. really into that. <laughs> <laughs> Was it new, interesting, or the same? Progressive, regressive? Has it evolved with today's ideas? I truly think this did. This movie does such a disservice to the story of the original. I think it was trying to do that very um, faux progressive thing that liberal folks love to do where it's like, have you seen those fun memes where it's like uh, liberal folks versus conservative folks? So one, it just says conservatives and the word is just die. And then the liberals, it's die, but the rainbow flag emoji next to it. Oh, no. Which I just think is very funny because <laughs> it's just like die, but like we're inclusive. So to to me, this movie felt like that. This movie felt like we're trying to be like, we're going to, it's going to be the Karate Kid, but it's going to be a black experience. It's going to be set in China. So we're going to be talking about different cultures and how we're going to, what what that's like. And it's going to be so good. But again, who's developing this? White fucking people. It's just messy and incorrect and not good in the way that it was well-intentioned, it was so drastic, such a drastic failure. Yeah, I super agree. I think that it was it was trying to put a fun twist on the classic nostalgia. Like, this movie would not have done very well if it didn't have the Karate Kid name attached to it, which... Oh, not at all. We, we, we haven't even addressed the fact that it's about kung fu not karate the only reason that karate is in the name is because they're banking on that nostalgia right and on that name yeah so um so that's erasure and uh gross over stereotyping 
but again, like, you know, they're not intentful about that. They're not smart enough to think about that. So they're just like, oh, it's going to be great. And then because we're going to call it the Karate Kid, I mean, whatever, it's going to be, but it's all the same, right? So yeah. that's their starting point for this. And that was the foundation for everything and then it's like oh well we're gonna go to a different country and yeah let's make it let's make it a black character and let's do this and let's do that so um that felt incredibly regressive in so much of like trying to do everything the same they got so much of that wrong because they didn't understand what made the first one great couldn't agree more <laughs> um who was it for eric well it sure as hell wasn't for black people like it was so uh i don't know it was for problematic white people i guess i don't know who this was for i really honestly i don't think it was for anybody i don't think it should be for anybody it's not good you know what no okay i'm gonna take it back it was for Jaden's career fully for Jaden's career because this was like one of the first big this was obviously his first like standalone. He's by himself because he didn't he do a movie with his dad where it was like that adventure action adventure thing. Might have been his first movie role. I'm I don't know off the top of my head the rest of the stuff that he's been in, but this I think was the movie that like he is the star. Jaden is the star. We're launching his career. Mm-hmm. He is going to be as big as his dad. That's what we're doing here. So. Mm-hmm. I don't want to fully, sh- completely shit talk like I have all the way because I'm like, I think Jaden's cool. Like, I'm excited for him and his career. Um, so, yeah, this movie was for his career. It was to jumpstart his career. Who do you think oh. it was for? Well, I was going to be shitty. Um, and I don't know what I was going to say. <laughs> um, but I know that it was going to be shitty. Um, but I, I like that. I feel like that salvages a little bit of this because see, like you could tell yeah. that Jay, like he worked hard, you know, he worked like, very hard. Good for him. Uh, he did a good job. Yeah. But other yeah. than that, you know, like when th- this is for parents trying to show their kids stuff, but the only way to get them interested in it is to show them a newer version of that. So that way they're interested in it and then they can go back and watch the original. Uh, that's what that was. <sighs> yeah. Yeah, um, did you like it? No, it is bad. It's a bad movie. This movie it's is just bad. a money. It's just a money grab. It's a. It's this the is exactly. AD, it made so this much is exactly money too. Why it we made do this like podcast. over three hundred million. Oh yeah, yeah. It was a huge success. Good for them. Yeah. This so this is like I think almost exactly why like we started. Well, not exactly why, but like this is a really good example of why we started doing this podcast. This is an obvious just money grab using nostalgia as the bait to put butts in seats. It's not a good story. It's not interesting or new. It's a mess. The first one's great. This one just used its namesake to make a ton of money, which is great. Good for them. Capitalism. Good for them. Woo. I hate it. I hate, I hate it, it too. Movie. Yeah. It's um, not a good one. Um, on Categorically, on a list of movies, um, this is not a good one. It's not. It's a bad, actually. <laughs> actually, yeah. So we've, we we have our list here of movies um, that are, and this is canonically one of the ones that isn't. Um, so yeah, yeah it, let that speak for what it what it is. I think we that's persevered. It. We made it Thank you so much Ooh. for listening. Um, if Thank you, you guys. have anything to say or anything, feel free to reach out to us. <laughs> at 
nostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. We're also on Twitter and Instagram. Barely, we only post when we do a new episode. So if you want to follow us and don't want to be overwhelmed with content, we're your people. Uh, we're perfect <laughs> for you. You're going to love it. You're going to like the way you uh, look. We guarantee it. We guarantee it. <laughs> uh, okay. Uh, special thanks to David Tresero for tech support, Danny Barkley for editing our podcast, and thank you, Eric. Thank you, Jazz. Yay. And remember, stay cute. And stay critical. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Boo-boo-boo-boo. Outro music. Ow.